I'm Jonathan Capehart, and this is Cape Up. We won't have a traditional inauguration day. No North Portico arrival at the White House. No limousine ride down Pennsylvania Avenue to the Capitol with the outgoing and incoming presidents. None of that pageantry and tradition that marks the peaceful transfer of power. But in this episode, I want to pretend that we will. Ambassador Capricia Penevik Marshall was the United States Chief of Protocol in the Obama administration. She was the White House Social Secretary in the Clinton administration and was there 20 years ago on January 20th, 2001, when President Clinton greeted President-elect George W. Bush on the front steps of the White House. After the pleasantries are exchanged, what happens when the couples enter the White House? Who's there? What do they talk about? What happens and who's left behind when the presidents and their families head to the Capitol? Ambassador Marshall takes us behind the scenes on what should be a day of high ceremony right now. Ambassador Capricia Marshall, thank you very much for coming to the podcast. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to join you, Jonathan. Thank you. Okay, so normally on January 20th, we would see one of the, to my mind, grandest ceremonies um, that our country does, the peaceful transfer of power. And it's, it's not just the hand on the Bible and the oath to me. It's when the incoming president arrives at the North Portico and the two families are there and meeting. And that, to me, is the start of the peaceful transfer of power. But we're not going to see that. So what I would love is to, for the audience to hear, in a normal time, what that day is like. So before that limousine arrives at the North Portico, what happens? Who makes that arrangement? Oh, uh, well, this is, for me, one of the most special days in our American history. Um, it is so symbolic of the strength of our democracy, that seamless, as you say, transition of power from the current sitting president, vice president, first family, frankly, to the next. And every moment of that day is to represent the, 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 the strength of our democracy. And, uh, and actually, there are events that lead up immediately after the election uh, takes place. And, and once it is determined by the voters that um, there has been uh, a new president or a, a second term of a president, I've been quite privileged uh, throughout my time to have witnessed personally several several transitions uh, from uh, one from the the point of view of an incoming and also an outgoing uh, president and in each element is so exciting so um, you we, you do begin there is a, a a time a period that takes place with uh, the first ladies um, mm. they, the sitting first lady extends an invitation to the incoming first lady to visit the White House. Why? She wants to 
host her in a gracious manner, to give her a tour of the White House, introduce her to the current sitting staff. Um, but also, again, it's the beginning of that bridge from one administration to the next. I, I watched uh, Barbara Bush standing outside the South Portico door with all the press to watch. And that election was tough, super tough between Bush and Clinton. And with a smile, she embraced Hillary Clinton, who walked up the, the South grounds to her. And arm in arm, they walked inside of the White House to begin a, you know, perhaps hour-long discussion. How long it is really doesn't matter. It's, again, that symbolism between these two women that they are now showing the country our democracy continues on. Our country and the traditions continue on. And then we come to Inauguration Day. The Presidential Inaugural Committee is selected, is put together, and uh, they determine all the facets of this day. It is a committee that is selected by the incoming president, uh, various individuals who will look at perhaps two days or three days, however long they want uh, the inauguration festivities to be. And there are a variety of events that are put into place. Um, unfortunately for this, inauguration, we will not see the boisterous crowds. We will not see the jam-packed streets as we are accustomed to. But those symbolic moments will continue on, those events that have been put into place that will show our democracy continues on, the strength of our people, and, uh, and the joy uh, that we are all going to celebrate in the, with this incoming administration. So um, just to, to remind listeners, Ambassador Marshall, and she's called Ambassador Marshall because her, her uh, second um, go-round in a presidential administration, she was the United States Chief of Protocol, which is an ambassador-level position. But before that, um, she was the Social Secretary of the White House from 97 to 2001, and that was a transition from President Clinton to President George W. Bush. And so the limousine arrives with, so given what you just said, um, Hillary Clinton and Laura Bush had a coffee. They did, they did all of that. And so now it's inauguration day. The limousine arrives at the North, Port the North Portico. Talk about the precision in the planning that goes into that? And what, if anything, do you say to the, to the outgoing president and first lady to prepare them for the incoming president and first lady who are about to arrive? Well, this is a day, of course, full of anticipation, a lot of excitement and a tinge of sadness for uh, the first family that's leaving. You know, so many memories, so much, so, so much has been accomplished. Um, now the incoming, the president-elect and, and first lady-elect, um, I guess, uh, will be arriving from the Blair House, the president's guest house. They will have spent the night there with um, special family members and select staff. So it's not really that long of a drive. Um, and right, it's just on the other side of the park. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, they may have their festivities also may have had them uh, going to St. John's beforehand. That's, that is an element um, of presidential inaugurations. Um, there's also national prayer service. There's a whole host of other activities that take place. Um, 
um, while they are there inside the White House, everyone is scrambling and preparing now um, for this very short coffee that is uh, prepared by the uh, sitting president and first lady and three staff members. I was very lucky to be amongst the three that were allowed to stay. It is the White House photographer, the social secretary, and um, the chief of staff. And, and that was John Podesta at the time. And so we were the only staff that was allowed to stay in the White House. The rest of the staff were told that at the end of the day on the 19th, their offices had to be cleared out and they no longer were returning to the White House. And so um, we're running around, scrambling, working with the mansion staff because their career, um, all of the chefs, the, the butlers, the maids, all of them, they stay from president to president, of course, still at the pleasure of the president, but they continue on. And with the ushers who really assist quite a bit in managing all of the activities of that very important day. Um, so I was running around with the Clintons. Uh, <laughs> Bill Clinton grabbed Hillary's arm when they got off the elevator from the second floor, which is the personal quarters of, of the White House. And there's Charlie Corrado, who is the uh, pianist for the president's own, the Marine Band, at the president's piano in the grand foyer, playing their favorite song, It Had to Be You. And wow. so he grabs her hand and swirls her around, and the two of them start dancing. And then they literally went running from room to room, the state dining room, the red room, the blue room, the green room, and recounting all of these wonderful moments in history that they shared together, all of these wonderful memories. And Chelsea's kind of standing there rolling her eyes like, come on, mom and dad, like get it together. Um, and then, of course, the vice president, Al Gore, arrived with Tipper Gore. Now, we recount, this was a very, very tough election as oh, well. Yeah. And there were lots of issues. Um, affirmation of, of the election took uh, quite some time because we had some hanging chads in Florida. Um, but uh, he was there and he presented you know, as a as a dignified uh, representative of our government, with Tipper Gore at his side. Now, the president, uh, you know, as is his manner, President Clinton was joking with him and trying to lighten the mood a little bit um, because this was going to be a hard day for him. It should have been, as he thought, his day. Should have been uh -huh. him. Should have been him. Um, so uh, at the moment, I, I saw the presidential inaugural committee gave us the word that. The motorcade is now arriving. They're at the North Gate. So it's you and two other staffers, the Clintons, the Gores, Chelsea Clinton. Are any of the, the Gore children there as well? No, 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 so no. We're talking a small, less than 15, 20 people. Exactly. Wow. Very intimate. Along with, of course, the White House ushers, the right. uh, the butlers, George Haney, and um, oh, Buddy Carter. Buddy Carter is still there serving. He, I don't know how many presidential transitions that man has gone through, but he's extraordinary. And they're at the ready, you know, to mm -hmm. to uh, do their duty. So yes. So the so the president elect rings the buzzer. Hey, we're here. <laughs> <laughs> And then the knock knock. <laughs> and then and then the limousine, the car comes up the that iconic drive. Then what happens? It does, yes. And um, so we're given the word, and I had to bring them on over to the door. Like you have to 
come to the North Portico, I mean, yes, to the North Portico and uh, and greet them. And so uh, the two of them, you know, scramble on over and uh, there they are. Doors open by the the chief usher, and um, they're there to greet them. And uh, the the Secret Service opens the the doors of the limousines, and the president elect and first lady Laura Bush uh, and Mrs. Bush now emerge, and uh, and they make their way up the the north steps, and they are greeted with very warmly with hugs and with handshakes, and uh, and then turn and and it's genuine. It's very genuine. Um, they know, they understand the, uh, the, the the whole operation of politics and what has transpired. Um, we can have our hopes that it might go our way, but oftentimes it does not. And so, you know, you have a duty when you are president to carry on that position. You are not just the president to Democrats. You are the president to the country. And the symbolism of this moment to the world is so incredibly important. It, the weight of it is extraordinary. And so how President Clinton behaved in that moment, being watched for four minutes was it really, um, uh, it held so much importance. So um, greets them very warmly and then the door closes. Now, th that is all seen by the public. As soon as the door closes, it becomes very private again. And along with, and I should say that along with them was of course, Vice President-elect Cheney and Mrs. Cheney and their chief of staff, Andy Card, and um, well, the president-elect's chief of staff and um, and their photographer. And that is it. You know, body people really stay outside. Um, the presidential inaugural committee is also in. They are invited in, but they really stay in the foyer. The only people who are invited into the blue room itself for discussions are the sitting president, first lady, vice president, second lady, Mrs. Gore, and then the president-elect, uh, Mrs. Bush, and uh, vice president-elect, and Mrs. Cheney. And that is it. And they, they carry on a just really sort of civil moment and uh, exchange in nice There was a lot of laughter, uh, telling stories about prior time, because of course, you know, the Bushes had it visited there. They visited, you know, his father when he was president. Right. So they had quite a few, quite a few memories of their time there, and 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 talking about that, and uh, and again, lightening the mood, and uh, and they're you know they're 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 dignitaries. These are these are people who understand the importance of their office. Um, so it was a it was a, a really wonderful, perhaps twenty minutes all in all um, between the eight of them. And so just to put people in the so we're in the White House, um, the staff is in the is in the foyer, the the outgoing president, the incoming president, the first and second ladies, uh, they're all in the blue room, the blue room, because I always get the rooms, the blue room is that central big central room that had that looks out, the, say that again. Yes, the oval-shaped room. Yes, oval room. Yes, and so that's a room that many Americans have seen, but not realize that it's that it's the blue room. But it is a very grand, august room that looks straight south, 
to the mall, Washington Monument, the Thomas Thomas Jefferson Memorial is is in the distance. That's where it's from there. You can see Marine One land uh, when it comes in. So now they're having their they're having their conversations. They're laughing. It's 20 minutes. Are you the one who goes in as a social secretary and says, Mr. Monsieur's president, (laughs) it is time to it is time to go. Yes, actually, it's a um, it's interesting as the the only person who I I mean, I as social secretary, I used to have a a team of people working with me, assisting with logistics. Well, it's just me. And (laughs) so I'm managing their staff, managing the photographers, um, really being that bridge to um, the service staff and making sure that coffee and tea and whatever else they would like is being served. And, and then attending to their needs, the, the president, first lady's needs as well. And, um, and then making sure, of course, that we have to stay on time because they have to be at Capitol Hill um, promptly, 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 so that they are taking the oath of office at, at, at noon. Um, so uh, there's a lot that is going on back and forth and uh, a lot of uh, discussions. And so, yes, at the appropriate designated time. And I have a real talent at doing this, I have to tell you, Jonathan, of <laughs> making my way present without being too much of a nudge, um, but letting them know that if I'm in the room, that means we have to move. Mm-hmm. And I get the president's eye and, uh, and Hillary's eye and look at them with like, a mm-hmm, we got to go. And so then they, she's brilliant at this. She, oh, here's Capricia. Now she's telling us we have to move on. Oh, so what do we do now, Capricia? And so leaving the door open then for me to uh, let them know exactly what the next process is. Um, you know, again, it's, it, no one's done this in the, in the group. I mean, with the Clintons had did, you know, did it previously, but um, it's, it's, it's new, it's new to everyone. And, it, and you only do it once or twice, perhaps in your entire lifetime, uh, the loading of the motorcade. And so um, there was some interesting hesitation because, um, you know, you, everyone divides. You have the first lady, the second lady, and the and and Mrs. Cheney ride together. The vice president and the vice president elect ride together, and then the first lady, uh, Hillary Clinton, with Mrs. Bush ride together. So everyone's divided up, but paired with the outgoing and incoming. Mm-hmm. Which again, on this particular day for the Gores, I am sure was not the most comfortable situation. I'm describing that took just a little bit of. Of, of time, um, and, but welcomed, understood, and then everyone started to make their way to the, their various cars. Left then, of course, is President Clinton and uh, President-elect Bush. And um, Buddy and, and George, I think, went and got their coats and brought them over, their overcoats, because it was a chilly day. And they went to put on their coats and they started to walk to the foyer. And then President Clinton turned to President-elect Bush and put his hands on his shoulders, straightened his coat, straightened his jacket, and then patted him on the back and said, come on, let's go do this. And President-elect Bush didn't say anything really in return, except with his eyes. And he just gave a nod, closed his eyes. And to me, it said, don't worry. I've got it. And that moment, 
there is that symbolic transition of power between these two presidents who had completely different philosophies about how our country should be run, about what should take importance. But they understood their positions. They understood that they were honored to hold that job as president of the United States, one now relinquishing it to the other and feeling as though it's in good hands. It, it, for me, it's a moment that I will cherish forever um, to have witnessed in our country's history. I can understand that. Just your telling the story sent chills up my spine because one, I'd never heard that story before, but two, the symbolism of it all, knowing where they were standing, having met both those men uh, and knowing what that interaction must have been like between them is truly incredible. You, as I said before, former United States Chief of Protocol, protocol is, is your thing. Even as White House Social Secretary, you had to be mindful of protocol. So when everyone's getting into their respective cars, there's a protocol. Who sits, who sits where? Um, so there is a position of honor. The current should be on the left, and they offer the position of honor to the incoming um, who will sit on the right. And when you say on the right. It's, it, it, uh, and I should say this, that um, what Trump's protocol, <laughs> oops, all the time is um, security measures. You know, it will depend upon some, oftentimes the way Secret Service want to have it aligned. Mm -hmm. um, but um, there, there usually is a, um, so, so on the, if you will, the um, president. So, so the incoming. Let, let me let me do it this way. Who gets into the? Who sits behind the driver? Yes, because I was just about to ask you behind the driver. Who's where? So behind the driver, it would be the incoming, and the president. The the current always sits on the, you know, sits on the other side of it of the of the car. So yes. they will allow them to go in first. Um, but what will be interesting is that we now have a. Um, well, it, I guess it would still account this way. We have a, a female vice president elect. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I was I was asked, um, should we be changing some of the formalities because she's a woman? I said, absolutely not. She holds the position of the vice president and all mannerisms and protocols are afforded to the office, not the sex of the person, but the office. So just so I make sure I'm following this right. The income, the the incoming pre the president elect, is the one who sits behind the driver in the limousine. The current president sits on the right behind behind the driver. And if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, even if it's not inauguration day, let's say it's the middle of the president's term, that right seat behind the driver, that is the president's seat. That's right. Got it. Okay. So now they're they're in the limousines. They're heading slowly down out Pennsylvania Avenue, down what is that Fifteenth Street to Pennsylvania. I'm sorry. Yeah, that is Pennsylvania Avenue down Fifteenth Street, and then pick up Pennsylvania Avenue again. Um, get out your maps if you can't follow me. Right. So now as they're so as they are making their way to the Capitol. You're still at the White House. What's happening? 
Ah, so this is where the fun kind of begins <laughs> um, for those who really have to make um, another quite symbolic but physical exchange, uh, a transfer in, um, in, in, in luggage and, and, and goods and materials. Um, the outgoing president's last suitcases, now they have been sending things and packing for some time because they know that they're going to be leaving, but um, there is a moving van that pulls up to the South Grounds at noon and um, from one side, and then it's loaded and it takes off while another moving van at like 12.01, right after the oath of office, pulls up with the incoming um, president's um, uh, items and they are offloaded. So there's again, this real symbolic moment that occurs inside the White House. In the Oval Office, the current sitting um, uh, president's Oval Office is dismantled completely. Uh, and very quickly, they only have a short period of time. Um, carpets are rolled up, uh, curtains are taken down, draperies taken down, um, sofas are removed. Um, if they are not going to use the Resolute Desk, which has not been the case of, of recent, most presidents use the Resolute Desk, um, that is removed and exchanged out. And the incoming, they don't have their permanent design yet, but they've gone usually into White House storage and have borrowed things from previous administrations, whether, and they are all kept in the, in, you know, many of the items are kept in, in storage, um, some draperies and carpets and things of that sort. Um, I know that, I think, I'm pretty sure that President Trump borrowed um, the draperies of, of the Clintons um, and, and put those up. So um, there's a variety of things that, that are, are repurposed. And, um, but to show again that there is a change in power in the, in the office, someone who has, or change in, in inhabitant, if you will, in that office um, as well for me. Um, I'm, as I said, one of the last staff that are at the White House. And so I, I, I had a close relationship with um, all of the ushers and the butlers. And um, so I ran around and hugged with tears in my eyes and, and bid all of them farewell. Um, and then there was a van that was waiting for me and, and John and the photographer. Well, no, the photographer went on. John went on. John actually did go on. That's right. It was just me. That's right. I thought it was mm. the three of us, but now, now I recall. John actually goes up to, John went up to the hill for the, um, for the swearing in. And um, it was myself. I, I went into this van that was waiting at the West Basement. And while I walked through the best West Basement, I was astonished that doors are coming off and, you know, um, um, uh, painters are down there and they're repainting offices. I mean, everything for the switch from one administration to the next occurs the second those presidents load up in that motorcade and take off. Um, and now I got into a van and I went out to Andrews Air Force Base because that is where some staff, many, many of the White House staff were all waiting um, for President Clinton and Mrs. Clinton to arrive after um, they have um, uh, witnessed this, the, the oath of office. Um, and then they get on Air Force One for one last ride. And um, so they had to have a, a, a wonderful ceremony there. They waved to people. It's, again, a, a great way to say thank you to staff, thank you to people. And again, 
symbolism. You know, now he's taking off for that last ride on uh, on the presidential plane. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. Monarchmoney.com slash podcast. So um, to bring us back to to the White House, you're the one of the last staff there. My question is, and, and and maybe you can you can clear up or or not clarify, clear up, confirm. That's the word I'm looking for. Confirm. At what time can members of the new administration come to the White House grounds? I've been told that it is starting at like eleven thirty. They can come. They can come through the gates. Is that? Does that ring true? I mean, I maybe things have changed a little bit, but can the pre can the incoming administration come onto the grounds before noon? There are certain accommodations that are made by the um, transition during during the time of transition between the transition teams, and certainly um, for those that have to have access to prepare for the incoming president's arrival, they are given, you know, once the president leaves, departs, they are certainly given uh, accommodations. So yes, um, they can come on before the, the oath of office at noon takes place. And one thing you said that I thought in terms of not only symbolism, but timing, the moving vans, how at noon, was it noon, the outgoing president's things, they roll away or they start putting them in the van? No, they roll away. So they literally roll. Wow. Rolling on out. And then the other moving van moves in. I was really taken by that. I thought, wow, that's 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 some timing here. <laughs> and also, again, it is a um, it's a moment that uh, is 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 a visual moment that people can take in. And, and you know, if it's captured, which oftentimes it is by the by the press, um, another sort of like, OK, we are moving on here now. I. I have heard that many of the items of the of our current president are already gone and um, have have been packed and and have long been moved. So mm. I'm not sure we're going to have, I mean, any of this. Frankly, um, I, we know that he's not attending. We know that he's not participating, and neither is the first lady. It'll be curious as to actually when do they leave? When will they leave the White House? Well, you know, by the time this episode comes out, we will, you know, have the have the answer. Um, but this is what's so, been so wonderful about this conversation is that everything you just you just talked about are things that we won't get to see. 
the things that make that make the United States a marvel around the world that we can go through these elections every four years or depending if it's a two term eight years and see one president hand off the baton to another, whether from one party to the next or the same party, although we haven't had that in in a while, handing a Democrat, Democrat to Democrat or Republican to Republican, with the exception of Reagan, Reagan, Bush. I knew there was one. Um, and so we're truly going to to miss something incredible. But I want to talk um, and, and thank you for walking us through what's going to happen on Inauguration Day. But I want to take some extra time to talk about um, your book, which I have here, Protocol, The Power of Diplomacy and How to Make It Work for You. Uh, as I said at the beginning of the interview, your your title is Ambassador Capricia Marshall. And being Chief of Protocol is an ambassador rank. Why is it, amb- well, one, what is that position? And two, why is it an ambassador rank? Oh, well, thank you, Jonathan, for, for mentioning my book. Um, the uh, Chief of Protocol, uh, the position, uh, manages, um, uh, works at the pleasure of the president. It is a position that is named by the president and is Senate confirmed. And as you note, with ambassadorial rank. Um, the Office of Protocol, well, we set the roadmap for all interactions, large and small, uh, for the president, vice president, and secretaries of state when they are engaging with their foreign um, diplomatic counterparts. And so um, whether it's here in the United States or traveling abroad, um, I am hooked to the president's side and make sure that he knows every step and it's all well executed, very well planned, all pre-negotiated of how he is going to engage um, with that president, prime minister, king or queen um, when when we are there. Um, The reason why the chief of protocol receives uh, the rank of ambassador is because the um, we, we are oftentimes standing there in lieu of the president and we are representing the president and the president's office. For instance, when I would travel out to Andrews Air Force Base and await the arrival of a president or prime minister, and I have to say this is one of my favorite, this was one of my favorite duties in the, in the job. Some people found that odd, but I love standing at the base of the staircase. And when they arrive, I would extend my hand and state on behalf of President Obama, welcome to the United States of America. And it just was wonderful, a wonderful moment. And it sets the tone for the rest of the visit. And so someone who has a lesser than ambassador ranking should not be there to greet someone of such high ranking. You have to have a, an elevated rank in which to do so. So it was really important um, that I held um, ambassadorial rank. You know, as a matter of full, dis- full disclosure, one, my husband worked in the office of protocol with you. Um, and um, two, I, you know, he would tell me stories. I mean, there are people who are, who are designated as, you know, being there on behalf of, on your behalf. So I know from, from my husband who, the first time he told me what is said 
when greeting a foreign dignitary, a chill went through me, just the power of that to say on behalf of the president of the United States or on behalf of President Obama, welcome. I mean, just inc how incredible is that? Um, and he was spectacular, <laughs> Nick Schmidt, in everything he did, the absolute perfect protocol officer. Yes. And second disclosure, you you mentioned both of us in your book, but but really all the 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 light is is shined on nick give what was one of the strangest things you experienced as chief of protocol oh my um there are many interesting moments that a chief of protocol um is um presented with because you know you are clearing the path for the president, for any of his interactions. So when you um, are confronted with things that are a little bumpy, a little odd, um, you know, you you have to smooth it out. You have to prepare so that the engagement itself goes really, really well. You know, when President Obama was meeting with President Putin as president for the first time, you know, he showed up late. He didn't want to be there. He didn't want Hillary there. There were all of these issues that we had to navigate and, and take care of those nuances and details. That's the power of protocol. You know implementing those those micro moves because they would have an amazing impact. We knew he didn't want to be there. We forced him into getting really close with President Obama through getting a small room and a small table and, and really pushing and pressuring him. And when he saw Hillary was going to be there, there was serious mindset diplomacy that was going on. The element of surprise should never be undervalued. And he was really surprised to see that she was going to be there. Um, and, you know, there are, there are definitely food issues when uh, President Obama had to tell him he had to stand up in China and make a noodle. And he said, I have to make a what? <laughs> I was just sitting here thinking, wait, he said, what? It wasn't on our schedule. And he said, you know, here we are at this dinner and we have a little bit of jet lag. And it was really important to President Hu that President Obama stand with him and make a noodle. The symbolism of it, that together, these two men were going to be standing there bouncing a lump of dough and making this really long noodle, which symbolized to the Chinese the longevity of this relationship. President Obama got it. He stood up without even flinching and said, OK, let's make a noodle. And he does things like that. Um, you know, uh, they, sometimes there's some hiccups. Michelle Obama, when we traveled to Indonesia, where they were greeting President Obama, they were so happy. Oh, my gosh. The president's here in Indonesia, thrilled and uh we had to do a greeting and we had greetings that went all around to the delegation in very close confines because there was this huge rainstorm at the last minute. It was supposed to be out on the grounds. We couldn't do it. We had to do it underneath um, this awning. And so we go around and we have the greetings and about an hour, hour and a half later, there's like everyone with jazz hands. Oh no, oh no, we have a huge problem. We have a huge problem. They come rushing over to me. They're like, Mrs. Obama touched the hand of an untouchable a senator who does not shake hands with women. And I was like, okay, she knows the, the gesture. She understands these cultural nuances that are so important. We were not given any information that this senator in Indonesia did not shake hands with women. I would have advised her of such. She would have known in advance. And oftentimes they will indicate that they don't touch by crossing their arms in front of their chest. I said, I did not see that. I stood right at her side. So I said, let's go to tape. And so a producer from, I believe it was NBC, pulled the greeting out and replayed it for us. And what we saw 
the senator reached right out with his hand, grabbed hers, pulled her in because she also knew, and she was so smart at this, that anytime we traveled abroad, she would give it, you know, a couple seconds of a, of a few moments before shaking hands with men for that reason specifically. If someone was hesitant, she did not touch them. She would just nod. She would wait for them to engage with her. Um, so we had lots of fun with mm -hmm. lots of various issues that would come up along the way um, and, and having to, to resolve them. It was the, the amazing job of being chief of protocol and the importance, as I say, of all of those details that help to navigate diplomacy and, you know, in our government and certainly can help people in their businesses and in their everyday life. So the, the, the second disclosure is you and I first met when I was invited to a dinner at the White House, I believe it was in 1999, was a dinner for the National Medal of Arts and National um, Humanities Medal, um, which at the time was on the level of a state dinner. Absolutely incredible. Um, I was so excited. We get up to the receiving line and you're standing there looking absolutely gorgeous. And you lean in and you say, welcome to the White House. And then you say to me, you know, you're sitting at the president's table. And I just about died. Um, I thought you were punking me. I really thought you were punking me. I was like, how, she can't, that can't be for real. That can't be for real. And so I go through, I say, you know, just shake the president's hand. Uh, and also in the cocktail hour, the button on my tuxedo, double-breasted tuxedo fell off. And so it was hanging open. And so if you look at the picture um, that the White House sends you of the receiving line, I am holding my, 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 my front of my jacket and shaking the president's hand, a little detail. But anyway, I go inside into the state dining room. I go to table 11, I walk around and sure enough, there is the, 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 the little card that says the president. And I have to tell you, it was one of the most magical nights of my life. It was so spectacular. But enough about me. I want to end. Um, I want to end um, by going back to the beginning. And the whole reason why I wanted to do this episode with you and to talk about inauguration. The important... What what is America missing? What is the world missing by not having that ceremony at the North Portico of the White House? Mm. This, um, there is a, an importance in, in, in protocol. Um, we talk about this importance quite a bit. It is the unvarnished, importance of, of those symbolic moments that occur in our history. And we are a peaceful democracy. Um, we believe that our form of government is one that other countries should look to and uh, should replicate, they should emulate. And we're missing out on that very important moment that other governments would say, well, wow, they know how to change 
from one sitting president to the next and continue that form of government, continue their democracy. There are other countries around the world that would like to see our government fail, would like to see democracy demolish. And it is incumbent upon us as um, holders, the, those very, the very highest holders of office to push forward and reinforce the strength of our democracy. And when we don't have those symbolic moments, when we lose out on that exchange, that seamless transition of power without gunfire, without anger shout, without any violence in the streets, we are missing out on sharing the beauty of our form of government, the strength of our democracy around the world. And um, frankly, um, I think it's going to be, although a jubilant day for our country moving forward, a sad day for our form of government that we don't get those symbolic moments. Ambassador Capricia Penovic Marshall, former United States Chief of Protocol under President Obama, former Social Secretary of the White House under President Clinton, author of Protocol, The Power of Diplomacy and How to Make It Work for You. Thank you very, very much for coming to the podcast. Thank you, my dear friend, Jonathan. Hey, everyone. It's Jonathan again. I don't need to tell you that this is an unprecedented moment in American history. That's why in times like these, I'm grateful for my colleagues at The Washington Post. Our reporters work around the clock and around the world to uncover the stories that are shaping our lives. And their reporting wouldn't be possible without subscriber support. Become a subscriber to The Post. You get unlimited access to everything we publish. And for a limited time, listeners can get two years of access for just $59. That's less than $1 a week. Learn more and subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. That's WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. And thanks.